every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. As we head on around back Arizona, it is 8 o'clock Saturday morning. It is the outdoor living hour for Saturday of the month. If you have our home maintenance calendar, you know today we're talking about rain water harvesting. And not just rain water, but all water harvesting. And we've got Farmer Greg on the line. And as we get to Farmer Greg joining us remotely from phone this morning, we have a little announcement to make. And we're happy to say the staycations are back. We've got one uh, one winner going to Taylor, Arizona next week. It is the 71st. Oh, darn it. What? Mm. Hmm. As of last week, the Taylor Rodeo on the 4th of July was still on, but I just went to their website and it got canceled too. Gosh darn it. That virus, I hate it. We all know about the Prescott Rodeo and the world's oldest rodeo and the Prescott pacing back and forth. The oldest rodeo, the longest continuous rodeo. But, you know, one overlooked one is the Taylor Rodeo that has a also a huge crowd, big, big event for Arizona on the weekend. But gosh darn it. But they're staying at the Heritage Inn, so they're still going to have a great time. Right there in Taylor in the Heritage Inn. I mean, when you... When you start reading about what this is, it's pretty incredible. I mean, this is a Victorian brick home built in the 1890s. I mean, the town of Snowflake was just settled in the 1878. So, I mean, this is this home, which is now a bed and breakfast in Taylor, is like one of the very first homes ever built in this part of the entire state. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful setup. Uh Heritage Inn, Taylor, Arizona. They're actually going to be there next weekend. I wonder if the rodeo's canceled. Does that mean they're not going to shoot the anvil with dynamite? They're not going to have the anvil shoot either, I bet. I don't know. We'll have to look into that. Gosh, that's bad when you got to cancel the anvil blast. <laughs> but the staycation is back, and there's only one place to register for it, and it's at rosyonthehouse.com. And our winners from Queen Creek, Arizona, We'll be driving up and enjoying a stay at the Heritage Inn in Taylor, Arizona next weekend. It's going to be a blast. And if you're ever traveling in that part of the state, remember the Heritage Inn as a place you might want to look up and book. You'll be sleeping in a real piece of history. Great things to do in that part of the state. You've got Hamalavi uh, State Park. You've got uh, Painted Desert. You've got Petrified Forest. You've got Casa Malpais over there in Eager and Springerville. You, you're at the very door of the White Mountains. You can go explore Greens Peak and Pole Knoll and Pine Knoll and uh, see the whole area. So Heritage Inn in Taylor, Arizona, proud participants of the Arizona Staycation, be hosting our winners next weekend. ArizonaStaycation.com. Uh, brought to you by Sanderson Ford. Every staycation winner gets to travel to wherever yeah, baby. destination they have in one of the uh, Sanderson Ford demo vehicles of your choice. Um, you know, you see the Heritage Inn, and you think, why did they ever change building from that style? Yeah, right, right. You know, it's so classic. So, so, a uh, hundred years ago, the, the think- design was so much better than what they're building now. You think, why? 
Why did they ever change that? You, anyway. like, you like that look better than uh, sticks and stuff? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you want to do a whole home energy audit on the place, too, already? <laughs> <laughs> better than silly sticks and stuff, I'll Man. tell you that. But <clears throat> that's a, for a different hour here at Rosie on the House. The 8 o'clock hour is our outdoor living hour. For Saturday of the month is uh, Farmer Greg, and we're talking water harvesting. Good morning, Farmer Greg. Hello, hello. I was just looking up Taylor, Arizona on the uh, <laughs> Google Maps, and this Heritage Inn seems like a sweet space. It is. And and the grounds, I bet you could do a, a nice urban yeah, there farm there. There you go, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you, <laughs> I want to go there. A beautiful place. So, rainwater, gray water, stormwater harvesting. Uh, you know, we live in the desert, and I'm often asked, why bother? And that's exactly the point, that we live in the desert. We don't get a lot of rain, and when, you're, when the rain comes, if you have 1,000 square feet of space you're harvesting rainwater on, you get 600 gallons of water for every inch of rain that we get. And that can be significant. So that's the big reason to really think about why we need to uh, decipher and discover what kind of water is available on our property is because we live in the desert. And the average rainfall in Arizona is seven inches per year. So that's Mm 4,200 gallons of water per thousand square feet. I know. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? That adds up. In September of 2014, we had this massive rain. We got three inches in an hour here at the urban farm. And while other people were um, flooding around the valley, uh, all this water was soaking up. I figured we got 29,000 gallons of water in an hour of, in an hour of rain. Rain happens. It, according to this website I'm looking at, it's been 47 days since any fell in Maricopa County. It seems like a lot longer than that, though. Um, yeah. But it, it does happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it, it, as long as it's there... We might as well place it. So really the the kinds of water that I want you to think about are what is available in your space. So when I look at my property here, I purposely purchased 30 years ago a property that has flood irrigation. So I have flood irrigation, but we also have my evaporative cooler water. We were just talking before we went on the air about how much we love our evaps and they kick off a fair amount of water. What are you doing to repurpose that water? And then when the evap coolers go off, the air conditioning comes on, it gets humid outside, and they kick off several gallons of condensate every day. And, you know, what can you do with that water? And, and then obviously there's city water and uh, repurposing city water in gray water. And gray water is any water that goes down any sink in your house except your kitchen sink and your toilet and it is legal in the entire state of arizona to repurpose your gray water they have you they give you 13 um 13 guidelines to follow and as long as you're following those guidelines and they're really super simple as long as you're following those guidelines you can use that secondary reused gray water in your landscape and gray water is the water from our drains except two drains Except the toilet and the kitchen sink. That's black water. The, 
and and they consider that black water. Yeah, definitely the toilet is black water, but kitchen sink water is considered black water as well. So gray water is the laundry machine, the showers, kitchen, yep. uh, bathroom sinks. Yeah. And so what I've done here at the Urban Farm is I've actually uh, replumbed one of my bathrooms so that the water goes either down the drain. I put a Jandy valve. You know that name, Jandy valve? Sure. Yeah, it's what they use on swimming pools, and it directs a you know a two inch or one inch two inch pipe toward one way or toward the other. So I have one valve on there goes down the drain if you want to put something that you don't want in your yard, and the other uh, setting on that goes out into my yard. Uh, so there's all kinds of creative ways to move to uh, do gray water from inside. Obviously, you have to plumb it so that it goes outside, but then there's also uh, the other thing that I've done here is I put an outdoor shower here at the Urban Farm and an outdoor uh, sink, and those are on my back patio, and that water goes out into the landscape. So it's just another way of repurposing, looking to see how we can um, reuse that water. And, you know, on outdoor shower... (laughs) I actually have an article I pulled out of Builder Magazine talking about the trend of outdoor showers being designed into landscapes. Oh, nice. And I think it's actually quite, quite a brilliant idea. One, you don't use as much water when you're outside rinsing off. And second, you know, when you've been outside all day working, you know, the last thing you want to do is drag your filthy self through your house to the shower. <laughs> uh, you know, Take it all off, rinse it off right there, and you can throw your... Lo- close straight into the laundry because that's usually right by the back door where you're coming in and then right. you know you're, you're you're entering your home clean yeah yeah well and you know when we're working on the farm like you and i do we can get pretty dirty <clears throat> so put that water in the landscape baby and then just let it drain naturally into whatever you've planted around it you've got several places on the the talking points you put in here the term plant the water first, then the landscape yes. around it. So I am a huge fan of not putting in tanks. You know, when people think water harvesting, the first thing they think of often is let's get a tank in so that we can save that water for later. And that can get really pricey. Tanks are expensive. So what I encourage people to do is plant your water first. Take a look at your landscape, see where you want that water at, at, direct that water to that place in the landscape, plant that water in the landscape, and then plant the landscape around it so that when when the rain comes, that rain can go out in the basins around your house to water desert plants. And uh, when you're using the gray water or other kinds of water that's more consistent, you, you can use higher water use trees in that space. But basically what we're doing is rather than putting the water in tanks and saving it for later, I want to encourage people to think about, all right, that water's coming onto my property. Where can I put it on my property that the landscape needs it and then plant around that? It's really quite that simple. Here comes that rainy day feeling again. 
Now that is the bitter sweetness of the heat. We need those extreme high temperatures to draw the moisture in. And man, we could sure use some moisture all over the state. It just seems like everywhere you turn right now, there's a, a plume of smoke and a new fire starting somewhere. And uh, oh, bring, bring on the rain. Bring on the rain. I love it. And what are we going to do so, with that rain when it hits our property? That's what we're talking about today with Farmer Greg. If you'd like to join the conversation, one 767 4348 one rosie Text questions, 411-923, or email info at rosieonthehouse.com. So let's talk about the thought process of getting a system in on your house. Shall we do that? Let's do it. All right. Um, I always encourage people to think through the whole process before you um, actually move forward. Uh, Art Ludwig, who wrote the book, wrote the book on um, gray water harvesting, it's called Create an Oasis with Gray Water, says that there is not one way to do it. He's got this really great quote. Um, it's the one universally applicable principle for all gray water systems is and I'm going to say gray water, rainwater, water harvesting systems, is there is no universally applicable principle. So you have to take a look at your space. You have to take a look at your space and see what's going to work in your space. So there's, there's five components that you want to take a look at when you're looking at putting some kind of water harvesting system in place. First of all, what's the water? Where does it come from? Uh, where are all the places it come from? As we talked about in the first segment, there's a bunch of places that, that are possible. So the water source. The next one is collection and distribution. How are you going to get it from where, you, where it lands to where you want it? The next one is your tank, your filter, your pump. And this is straight out of uh, Art Ludwig's book. And as we talked last segment, I'm not a great fan of uh, storing water. Uh, but that is one of the components that you need to consider. It's the tank, the filter, and the pump, all that distribution system, plumbing, and that kind of stuff. The fourth thing you want to uh, take a look at is your landscape. And then the fifth place is your place, your design. And you want to then wrap it all together and put it together in one piece. Um, and, yeah, that's that's the process that I walk people through to think about how to get that water planted in their yard. It's expensive to move water, and CAP makes no uh, <laughs> qualms about it. They they openly admit and, and say, hey, we are the biggest energy consumer in the state. Moving mm-hmm. water is expensive. Yeah. Yeah, so, and that's why I'm a fan of doing it as passively as possible. So let's talk about passive water harvesting. Basically what that means is that the water that hits my roof, I direct it in a way that it gets into the place where I want it in my yard via gravity. So there's no pump, there's no filter, there's no tank. It gets used immediately. That is passive. I have a, um, I have a rainwater harvesting system here. I actually have two of them on my back porch, and I call this the, the, the legacy of my rainwater harvesting systems. And one of them is a rainwater harvesting tank. I put it in in 2004. We did a class here with the crew from Tucson, which included Dan Dorsey and Brad Lancaster, who wrote the book on rainwater harvesting. And it cost $1,500 for the tank, 
which is about what a tank would cost these days, and then installation on top of that. We did it inside of a class here, um, but uh, so that what we're looking at is the cost of the tank and then the cost of the insulation for a tank is generally about 2,500 bucks. So we have to take a look at, does that make sense? And there are places in the state where that absolutely makes sense. My friend, Barbara Rose lives in Marana and she lives on a well and rainwater harvesting. So she's got a tank on every corner of her house. Me at the urban farm, however, right in the middle of Phoenix with very inexpensive water for the time being, um, you know, having a, a $2,500 rainwater harvesting tank in my yard is not, not the, was not the best investment. So that, that's the rainwater that is on the north side of my backyard coming off of the roof. What size, tank, a, what size tank is that, Greg? It is a four-foot diameter, seven-foot tall culvert. So when we put tanks okay. in, we use a, the metal culverts that go underneath Okay. Roads. Okay. And there's a place. Yeah, there's a place down in Casa Grande. You can buy them, and there's a whole process to put them in. And if anybody's interested, uh, I think I have that data. In fact, if uh, I'll get that data on our um, urbanfarmwater.com website that I uh, that I'll mention here in a little while. Uh, That's yeah, very urbanfarmwater.com. I was just curious. You were talking about what it costs, and I was just wondering: is that a hundred gallons? Is that 400 gallons is it 800 mm. gallons so okay got it. now i got, got it, it. Yeah. okay yeah so that tank is about 750 gallons okay for 2500 bucks um and what we did is we prepared the ground underneath the tank and we dug trenches underneath the tank so that the water we wouldn't breach the side of the tank and then we laid the plumbing in the bottom we stood the tank up on its end and we poured about a thousand pounds of concrete in the bottom of it. And then we sealed it with, uh, um, you know, a nice food grade sealer and uh, put a lid on it. So that's the, you know, that's the water tank okay. in my backyard. And it's kind of expensive. You know, the, the uh, tank itself um, was 1500 bucks. I figure it's going to take me at saving five to $10 a month. It's going to take me about 30 years to pay for it and you know the worst part about that greg we're already 16 years into that <laughs> i know right <laughs> tick tock tick tock more yeah, exactly. for farmer greg and water harvesting here at rosie on the house after bottom of the hour news we'll be back sure didn't know it was gonna hit me this way and the radio just keeps on playing all these songs about rain. Now there's all kind of songs about babies in love. So I'm not going to steal the spotlight here because we've got a lot to talk about. But I just want to share, Farmer Greg, what one thing I've been installing during uh, the extra time I've had at home now with rodeos canceled we've had extra weekends at home and i'm doing something right. i've been trying to do forever and that's gutter the shade from our horse stalls and all of that guttered mm. water is directed to my pecan trees now oh perfect calculate it up on your uh, 600 gallons per thousand square feet yep <clears throat> once i'm finished 
I will be able to divert on seven inches of av- rain average a year, 20,000 gallons of rainwater onto the pecan trees. Yeah. Now that's what I'm talking about. That adds up. And pecan trees that's- need a lot of water to grow, too. Yep. Yep. Nut, yeah, they do. Nut trees in general. On the, <clears throat> take takes a lot of water to grow a nut. Sure does. Look at me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, we talked about my expensive rainwater harvesting system. Let's talk about my passive, inexpensive rainwater harvesting system. Um, and this is going back to the tale of two rainwater harvesting systems. My $1,500 tank in the back. That's not so passive, by the way. In order to make it work, I have to hook up a hose to a spigot and then drag that hose somewhere. And that may not seem like a lot, but it, that makes it not passive. And when I say passive, what I mean is that the entire system just works no matter what. And I have an $80 tankless system that is on the south side of my roof here at the urban farm. Cost me 80 bucks. It harvests the same amount of water as the north side of my property that cost me 1500 bucks. And there's virtually nothing for me to do except clean the gutters. I clean the gutters twice a year. The water runs down the pipe, runs about 35 feet out into a small orchard and waters uh, several figs, a couple of citrus trees and an apple tree. And it's that simple. And there's a couple I think I counted three different times in your talking points. You made a point to never to, to to end the water into an open airspace. Explain that. Never dead end the gray water or rainwater in dirt. You always want to open, dead end it in an open airspace. So with the $80 tankless system, what I did is I dug a, a hole in the backyard where I wanted to plant the water and when you are moving water, the pipes need to slope a quarter inch per foot in order for that water to run. So the farther you run the water, the deeper you have to go. And so what we're doing is we're collecting the rainwater on the roof, running it down the gutters, down the pipes, down a, uh, about a 30-foot length of black three-inch pipe that I put in the ground, and I cascade that water in a tank in the ground so before you get wrapped up in thinking oh my gosh he's got a tank planted in the ground that he now has to get the water out of this particular tank has no bottom in it so that when the water comes down the pipe and into this underground tank it percolates in immediately so are you asking yourself Romy why are we doing that <laughs> you the thing about dead ending water in anything but air is that the roots of the plants will clog it so quickly um, because roots will go through dirt and if you're dead ending a, a water source in dirt it's gonna those roots are gonna find that pipe and they're gonna clog the pipe if you dead end it in a tank underground that has no bottom in it. And by the way, this particular one, I just used a 55-gallon drum that I cut in half, and I put it in the ground. Those roots don't go up through the air into the pipe, as a general rule. So 
several things about water harvesting. You need to direct your water. You need to have a slope on the pipe, quarter inch per foot, so that the water runs downhill. And when that water is exited into a space, you need to exit it into an airspace so that the roots don't clog it. And it's really that simple. <clears throat> so dead end it into air. Makes makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's it. And so much of this that I'm talking about, I've learned from Brad Lancaster and uh, Art Ludwig out of their books. Brad Lancaster's book is Rainwater Harvesting for Drylands and Beyond. And Art Ludwig's book is uh, Create an Oasis with Gray Water. And Gray Water uh, is the main talking point for this segment. So let's uh, let's dive into that <laughs> topic. <clears throat> and you had mentioned now that it's it's legal no matter what jurisdiction or municipality yep. you live in in Arizona. Yeah. And so Brad, in his infamous wisdom, Brad Lancaster, about 15 years ago, started working with the Arizona Department of uh, Environmental Services and convinced them to put in guidelines for gray water, making it legal throughout the state to use gray water. And the cool thing about gray water is, is or the water in your house, about up to 80% of it is gray water. And you can use that in your landscape. Um, a few guidelines for gray water. You never want to store gray water. What happens with gray water if you store it, Romy? I don't want to, you know, people are eating <laughs> breakfast right now, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, another thing is you want to use your gray water on shrubs and trees. I like to use gray water on permanent plants not vegetables because you know you don't really know what's in the gray water even if you're really conscious about what you put down the drain there still could be some crud in it so i stay away from vegetables uh with watering with gray water and um you never want to put a i get this question a lot believe it or not people want to store the water and then put it in their drip system that's going to clog it pretty quickly and gray water you always want to exit subsurface you want to put that gray water underground so it percolates in. And one of the things that I've done in my gray water basins is I dig a uh, basin, and my basins are maybe five foot diameter, and took out most of the dirt down to about two feet, and I filled it with woody mulch. And so every year I'm just adding woody mulch into that basin, and it acts like a great big sponge that holds onto that water, and then all that woody mulch breaks down into an absolutely amazing soil. And then what do you do with that soil? Ah, well, I grow trees around it. So that's the, so the gray water system that is on my back patio for my outdoor kitchen sink is it goes into a basin, and it waters, um, let's see, it waters a grapevine, a um, citrus tree, um, a papaya, a, a mango, and a one other tree. Um, so I'm actually building the soil in that basin to nurture the trees that are growing around it. And you said those basins are about a five foot diameter. Yeah, I make mine about five foot diameter. And and, and I uh, go ahead. How how many basins are supplying? 
all those trees? Ah, good question. So I have, for the, the sink on my back patio, I have two basins. Uh, I, I have a split, uh, 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 split gray water system coming out of the back of the sink. So it pushes half the water one direction, half the water the other direction. And this sink we use to wash our hands and rinse vegetables and, you know, basically um, come in from the yard, you know. So, Greg, just so I'm clear, yeah. gray water can be mm-hmm. used on trees, citrus trees, but not in vegetable gardens, correct? You know, you have to figure out what works for you. And, you know, when I look at gray water, we don't know what's in it. I definitely shy away from using it in my vegetable garden. Okay. It just makes the most sense. So when I put my gray water system in in 2006 here at the at the urban farm, I act, it took me four months to get a permit because I everything I do here at the urban farm I do with permits because I I open this place up for people to come in and see what we're up to. So I want to say you know what this was done with the permit. This is how you do it, and it took me a good six months to get a permit. I actually had to talk with the deputy director of the water department of the city of Phoenix to educate him on, oh, gray water, because they wanted me to hook up my outdoor shower and the outdoor sink to the sewer system. And that kind of defeats the purpose. So sometimes we have to do educating. That was 15 years ago. And there's a lot more knowledge about how to do this now, which is really cool. Thanks to Brad and all the people that are working um, in this arena. And then to get your permit, any municipality you live in, they have what's called a one-stop shop down at uh, the city office. And you go down there and <clears throat> bring your plans. And just about, you know, if you've never done it before, just be prepared. It's going to take you about 900 trips. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Maybe 300 trips, not 900. <laughs> uh, it, it's a learning curve. <laughs> yeah. But it's the right way to do it. So thank you for... exactly. Thank you for mentioning that. And in the gray water, you said 80% of our indoor water use is gray water. So you're diverting 80% of what you use indoors for that. And You can, yes. That what? would assume that you do all of your plumbing as gray water. Greg, what, what were some of the guidelines they convinced the uh, department that it was okay? What, what are the guidelines you have to abide by? Um. You know what? We're going to get that in the next segment because I'm going to pull that document up and then I can read them right to you. And then anybody that wants a copy of this can email me at greg at urbanfarm.org. I'll get it to them. That'd be great. Perfect. Yeah. So I'll pull that up. We can, we can uh, talk about that next segment. Talking water and water harvesting, whether it's rain, gray water, uh, evaporation. You know, you had mentioned condensation. We talked a little bit before the broadcast. There's a, a, a new invention out of you know designed here in arizona that's a unit that you know in in when you take survival classes they tell you to always carry a sheet of plastic with you and if you found yourself out in the desert without Mm -hmm. water you dig a hole you you cut you put a cup right in the center of that hole you cover that hole with plastic and you put a rock right in the center so the air condensates on the plastic underneath. It rolls down to that low point where the rock is and it drips into your water. They basically have taken that into a solar unit and put it on your roof so your your drinking water is condensed out of the air. 
Isn't that cool? That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very excited about that technology. So it'll be exciting to see all the new ways and all the new technologies that uh, that come with water conservation, water harvesting, and water use as, you know, we've we've got the same amount of water, you know, on Earth, but a growing number of population and how we all use and recycle that together. Well, final segment with Farmer Greg coming up. Ooh, I love a rainy night. Mm. Yeah, I love a rainy night. And it should be nice to get one. There's nothing like a desert night lit up by lightning. That smell of wet creosote just drifting along as you hear the water pouring down on the patio roof. Love our Arizona rainy night, and we're talking about rain and water harvesting. And Farmer Greg, you have your document pulled up? I do. <laughs> and so these, these are guidelines, and they actually, in the document, they say follow these best, best management practices to comply with Arizona's rules for gray water use. And they're simple. Uh, you know, the first one is avoid human contact with gray water. In other words, you know, just exit it underground. Um, it says you can use gray water for household gardening, composting, lawn, and irrigation system, but um, you always want to run it underground, uh, subsurface. That's really important. And I think um, that answers a text question we had. Can you use <clears throat> gray water on the lawn? Yeah, it's kind of hard to use it on the lawn because you need to exit the water subsurface, either in a, in a basin or or in a tank underground that has no bottom in it. Um, so that kind of makes it hard to use it on lawns. So I would, I would avoid uh, lawns. So, and then, um, you know, you do, and, and the other thing is, is that uh, spraying gray water is prohibited. You don't want to get out there and spray it. So, <laughs> right. Um, one of the label pipes carrying gray water so that you know what they are. So these are the kinds of things. It's super simple to to um, you know to follow these guidelines. Is you just have to pay attention to them. And somebody can email you for that PDF. Yep, and actually they can email me for that PDF. Absolutely, and I just uh, to look to see if there was an updated one, which there is. I just typed in Arizona Graywater Guidelines, and the document came up on the Extension Service. So Perfect. it's there as well. And summarizing the, the whole water harvesting, uh, uh, the, the calculating the return on investment. And, you know, oh, yes. I know that's a, a big key, but a lot of it, you know, is, I think a lot of this can be done understanding, you know, your, your return on investment isn't financial. It, it's stewardship. That's your return. Exactly. Well, it, it's also financial. Um, and usually when we calculate a return on investment, we primarily look at the cost involved. So my tank was fourteen, fifteen hundred bucks. If I'm saving fifty dollars a year in water for my rainwater harvesting tank, that means it's going to be twenty eight, thirty years for me to get my money back. Um, and like I said earlier, my friend Barbara down in Tucson, that's where she gets her water from. So that's a calculation that she has to take into consideration as well. And then the the stewardship side is the the amount of water that you're not having to use now because you've right. redirected, repurposed what's naturally fallen uh, you know, from the sky. Exactly. Exactly. So just, you know, get it where you want it. And there's, there's some really great 
resources out there for uh, rainwater, graywater. I already mentioned Art Ludwig's and Brad's books. Uh, Brad's website is rainwaterharvesting.com. You might want to check that out. I've put together a resource of watering information at urbanfarmwater.com. You go there, sign up, and I'll send you a link to uh, some drip irrigation uh, systems that I like, a rainwater harvesting uh, webinar that I do, and a couple other things as well. Um, one of the things we haven't touched on that's really important is what are you putting down the drain? Because all of a sudden when you're so throwing something away or it's going away down the drain, that drain drains in your yard. So you need to be super conscious about what you're actually putting down the drain. And the, one of the soap products that I use is called uh, Oasis Biocompatible Soaps. Uh, biocompatible means it breaks down into fertilizer. And is so, that something you buy locally? You have to order it online? You, well, we carry it at the urban farm. Um, I still have a few bottles of it left. We bring in a, a truckload about once a year, or you need to get it online. But it's um, it's a good product, and um, they have a laundry soap, and they have a dish soap. And the dish soap I actually use in my outdoor shower. It's nice and citrusy smelling, and um, yeah, so... Online, sometimes we have it here. Outstanding. And then the, the I love the, the final talking point. Make it as simple and inexpensive as possible. Don't, don't overcomplicate it. Don't overcomplicate it. That's, uh, you know, you could easily spend $1,500, $2,500, $5,000 on a rainwater harvesting system, and you don't necessarily need to. So pay attention to the costs and make it super simple. The simpler it is, the easier it is to manage over time. If, well, thank you for spending your Saturday morning with us. It's urbanfarm.org. Uh, it is a dot .org. I almost said, I second-guessed myself. Is it an org or com? Urbanfarm.org. <laughs> yep, and then go to rainwater, urbanfarmwater.com for some freebies on this stuff. Oh, one more thing real quick. If you're interested, we have a, uh, a multiple week rainwater harvesting in depth class that we're doing in July. So you can uh, shoot me an email about that. And what are the well. dates on that? Um, it's Mondays and Wednesday evenings. It's online starting the middle of the month. Um, and then it's pre-recorded. It'll be recorded, and you can listen to it later as well. It's one of our courses. Well, good. You, you had one that's not on a Saturday, so I can I, I might actually be able to make this one. It's there uh, you go. Monday and Wednesday evenings online. Yes, yes. Urbanfarm.org for those details. Thank you, Farmer Greg. You bet.